We are a church plant from Bayside Chapel. I was a youth pastor there. One of my uh, last sermons was was a big one. It was on the book of Acts, and I was uh, telling uh, the church uh, about the importance of church planting and why we would go to Tom's River to to plant this church. It's a big message for for me personally, big message for kind of the moment and wellspring and whatnot. And in the morning of of going to preach this message, kind of pouring my heart out to to Bayside, uh, my kids get sick. One of them, I think one of them had pink eye or something of that nature. And so I get this text message from Ava, I can't make it to church today. I really want to be there to support you and be a part of this, but I can't make it. And I was bummed out. I was discouraged by it. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, it was, I think, the second service at, at Bayside, all of a sudden my wife comes, comes walking in and it blew me away. I'm, I'm sitting there worshiping and all of a sudden she comes sits, sits next to me and I whisper like, why are you here? Where are our kids? Who, like, what's going on? And she's like, well, Pastor Ritter and, uh, and Diane uh, came to our house to, uh, to watch the kids. And I was blown away. I mean, I'm blown away that, that a pastor that gets a Sunday off would, would sacrifice for a peon like me to go and to watch my sick kids simply so my wife could come and be a part of what was going on. I respected Pastor Ritter before that moment, But in that moment, my respect for him grew. I admire the man. Now he's he's no longer my boss. I don't have to, quote unquote, obey him. But out of deep respect for him, the thought of disappointing him bothers me. There's a hard issue when we fail to listen to Christ. When we fail to listen to Christ, those, those are symptoms to a, to a broken heart. The question we have to ask ourselves in those, in those moments is, do we respect Christ enough to sacrificially follow him? As we've been reading in the, in the Gospel of Luke, an account of Jesus' life, Luke is somebody that asked a lot of eyewitnesses and then wrote down an account. As we've been reading this passage in this new normal series, this kind of this, this growing question, What do I make of Jesus? Herod started asking that question, perplexed, wondering, intrigued. You have the the crowds. What what are they saying? What's the word on the street? No, no, no. What about you? What what do you say? This growing question of, am I worth the follow? Am I worth the sacrifice? It's a question we're asking ourselves, too, as we gear up for this new normal. So with with an understanding of Christ, a growing understanding of Christ, have you come to a point where you can say he's worth giving all of yourself? Can can you say from a place of love and respect, a deep admiration or a respect like that, that Christ deserves all of me? And now we'll begin to see, even probably in in its greatest form here on earth, an account of the glory of God. Of Jesus. Here's what it says in, in Luke chapter 9 as we, as we pick up. It says, Now about eight days after these, these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and, and went up on the mountain to pray. Here's, here's three key figures of the disciples with this special privilege. Not all the disciples, just three of them are able to come up on the mountain and do something very special. Come with me to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of, of his face was, was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, 
two men who were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. As Jesus is praying, something extraordinary happens. Jesus' body during prayer is transformed. He's, he's retaining his, he's, he's in his basic appearance, but now he's being transformed where we, we're getting a picture of his glory. Garments, like, like this, is, this is something that Luke would say, like, this is, this is mind-altering. This is, this is something that, like, like stands out to me because it's not normal to appear to have white garments back in that day, to, be, to have a, a white garment that's, that's radiant. That doesn't happen on unpaved roads. If you have a white garment, you're walking around and that garment is getting dirty. So to have a white garment when there are no Tide pens is something noticeable. Clearly not normal and goes beyond explanation. And then on top of that, there's two new dudes on the scene. Moses, who's considered the father of the law. Elijah, who's the, the archetypical Old Testament prophet, he, he is the prophet of all prophets. He's a prophet that was taken directly into heaven. He never experienced death. He was taken directly up. Moses died a little under 1,500 years before this scene. Elijah was taken up to heaven about 900 years before. And now they're talking with Jesus to do what? Encourage him to affirm his agenda. And after this conversation, Jesus is focused on Jerusalem and the mission at hand. For a relatively brief moment of time, the kingdom of God in all its glorious fullness is there on that mountain shared by those three men. It's glorious. I went to a, a small uh, Christian school called Taylor University. You were in college one time, right? <laughs> I was there, and it's in the, the middle of nowhere, Indiana. And uh, like any good college students, there is a lot of fun. And at a Christian school, our fun is a little bit different. And so I went to this place that we nicknamed the Bomb Shelter because a group of guys from the football team, team had rented it, and there was literally this old bomb shelter in it. And whenever you would go to the Bomb Shelter, all the football players would challenge you to a, to a competition. And if you lost that competition, you would have to go and stay in the Bomb Shelter for an allotted amount of time. And it was a disgusting thing to do. You did not want to lose the competition because inside of the bomb shelter, they would pee in it. They would throw things in it. There was all sorts of things that happened in the bomb shelter that was nothing short of disgusting, especially when it retained water. You did not want to go into the bomb shelter. So football players, they had a recruiting trip. So some high school seniors come in. And so I'm, I'm on my way to hang out at the bomb shelter. They're having a party, and I'm there. Uh, you know, like, I'm going to meet some ladies. And so uh, I, I'm dressed up. I'm ready to go. And I walk up and I hear the hooting and the hollering. Somebody had lost a competition and they're starting to scream, 10, 9, 8. Like these people are about to get out of the bomb shelter. Now I, I, I fight my way to the front of the crowd because I want to see what's going on. Here's what happened inside the bomb shelter. There was a recruit in there and my best friend's twin brother, they were stuck in there. They had lost a competition. My best friend's twin brother had made this comment to the recruit. This sucks. Here's what you're going to do. As soon as you get out of here, you're going to punch the first dude you see in his man parts, and then we're going to run. 
I wasn't there for any of this. I walked up on the scene, ready to meet some ladies. Out these two people come. I knew, I knew nothing. I didn't even know these two individuals. A guy I never knew came and dropped me to my knees, <laughs> punched me. And that's a Christian recruiting trip. <laughs> that's what we do at Christian school. You, you can hear in football, you can, you can watch ESPN, and you know that, that recruiting trips are what you're trying to do. We can use, I'm going to use the word glory. You're trying to sell the recruit on the glorious nature of the school because you want them to come to school and then you want them to stay at the school. So you hear about all these stories about all these NCAA violations and whatnot, how to get people to experience the glorious nature of the school. But then what happens? You also hear about so many football players then transferring away from the school. Why? Because, because the glory, the, the love that they had from the, for the school, it begins to wear off. Are you thinking about transferring? Have you transferred? Have you checked out? Has the pandemic gotten to you? What do you need in, in the new normal? Maybe it's to experience Jesus in a fresh, new way. Maybe the question you and I are asking is, when did the dazzle wear off? Isaiah, Isaiah 6 says, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord all, Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory that I can look around this room and, and if, I, if I'm looking for it, I can see the glory of God and the glory of God is not just that Gabriel plays the piano like a boss and it sounds like angels all up in this room. The glory of God is all, all around us. But do we, do we see it? Do we go up on the mountain to experience it? Are you looking for it or do you find greater glory in another? Do we fail to see our God's role in the earth around us? Do we, see this, do we fail to see that God has a way of bringing his glory even in the midst of heartache? Are you and I sleeping on God? Here's what, here's what continues to happen as the story unfolds. It says, now, now Peter and those who were with him were, were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And, the two, and two men stood with him. And as the men were, were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he had said. I'm going to pause there. I'll come back to this to say, keep it there. This to me is, is super funny, but it's like one of those funny things like you're a pastor and it's probably not funny to anybody else. But as I read the commentaries about not knowing what he said, what likely happened, as is what I, what I read, was, was Peter probably got made fun of for the rest of his life. Like, hey, remember that time you saw some dead dudes and all this glory stuff and you're like, hey, let's go build some tents? And it was it kind of, what it sounds like was it kind of became like an inside joke with the disciples. And so Luke is putting this in here almost to protect Peter. I had a hearty laugh with this and Ava thought I was stupid. But as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, shadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. <laughs> Apparently they are praying for a long time, long enough where the disciples fall asleep. They wake up to, to experience and to see something super, uh, truly supernatural. Now, if you're the disciples, you have to understand that this is eerie. 
You fall asleep and now you wake up and now there's extra people present on the scene. And on top of that, there are a bunch of dead dudes. And so Peter instinctively reacted with, oh, let me extend some hospitality. Kind of like, don't rush off. We got plenty for dinner. It's kind of his, his mindset here. He offers to Peter, uh, I mean, to Moses and Elijah, this, this honest desire to stay longer. Hey, this is good. Stay here. I, I want to experience this for a little bit longer. Monday was a, a tough day for me. I, I kind of have highs and lows and whatnot. And, uh, and just normal life, nothing, nothing that has to be drastic or anything. But one of my highs and lows, this is some pictures of, of the walk that I took on Monday. Monday, I was feeling gloomy. And uh, I walked down to the bay as I normally do. My habit recently has been, by the time I get to the bay, I time it so I see the sun rise. And the, the sun was just glorious. The, sun, the, the sky was glorious. The sun popping up. And I was in this moment, and, and, and my habit has been, when I get to the bay, I turn on two worship songs. I just go to the, the Wellspring uh, worship list, and I hit shuffle, and, uh, and grateful, and raise a hallelujah uh, <laughs> came on. And, and I got caught up in this moment where I was belting out worship, looking at this whole scene uh, unfold to the point where I had to pause and look around and be like, if anybody's watching me right now, A, I look crazy, and B, like they might call because I'm screaming uh, and whatnot. I kind of got caught up in a holy moment having seen what I felt like was the glory of God. I saw God's glory through, through all of this. But I also see God's glory when I see my boys playing catch with one another. I see God's glory when, when I have a hard talk with my kids and I see things turn out okay, like they, they got it and I see them make a change. I see God's glory when my, when my precious daughter looks at me and says, Daddy, I love you. I see God's glory when, when I'm at a, a Black Lives Matter protest and I see, I see protesters, I see cops, I see, I see people of all different skin colors say this is wrong and we need to fight injustice. I see God's glory through that. I feel God's glory when we love those that are hurting. And in those moments, we stop and we have to say, my God, my God, I see. So maybe we've been sleeping on God and it's time for us to, to wake up, rub our eyes and say, my God, I see you. But like Peter, where do we go from here? Like Peter, what do we do when we, when we see God's glory? Do we wake up or do we go back to life as normal? Do I go from worshiping God on a beach to going home and ignoring my kids, experience the glory of God in a sunrise to, I'm going to go home, I'm going to ignore my wife and my kids. No, the glory of God should not drive us there. Do I go from seeing the beauty of God in a hurting world around me, seeing how, how love can impact a hurting world, to walking by the individual who is hurting? Do I go from say, saying, God, I'll give you my all. I'll give you, you are glorious. You are worth everything I have. To saying, you know what? My relationship is unhealthy. It makes me feel good. God, anything but that. Here's where I think God drives this passage. He says this, and a voice from heaven came from the cloud saying, this is my son. The focus isn't on the prophets that are there. It's on Jesus. My chosen one, my special one, my unique one, my chosen one. Listen to him. 
And when they, the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told, and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. An audible voice takes control of the scene. What Luke does here in his grammatic, uh, grammatical nature, he uses something called the restrictive uh, attributive, where it places the emphasis on the adjective chosen. So the most important word in this passage is chosen. That Jesus is the chosen one. Make no mistake about it. He is unique. God answers the question to the disciples of who is Jesus? He's the chosen one. He makes it clear. This is God's son. He shares deity with the father. He is God. And not only that, if you have to listen to him, that means he has something to say. And so God almighty from heaven makes it clear. Jesus is my spokesperson. He has something to say. And from there, they, the disciples, they don't rush down the mountain to tell people. They've experienced something crazy and awesome, but they're not eager to tell others. They're not trying to make money off the experience, but one day they will give their lives for this truth. Jesus is the chosen son of God. And when the clouds are removed, when the lights go off, only Jesus remains. He's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than all the prophets. Jesus is unique. And to me, this shouts of one of our core values, an uncommon relationship. Out of the building, out of the box, we build uncommon relationships to reach people that no one else is reaching. As a church, we don't have to work hard at getting people to have common relationships. Young people hang out with young people. Old people hang out with old people. We don't, we, don't, we don't have to work hard at getting uncommon relationships or uh, common relationships to happen. What we have to work hard at doing is getting uncommon relationships to happen. At different age groups, different genders, different races. We work hard at making sure uncommon relationships is something that's commonplace here in this church. And I think the greatest, the most important uncommon relationship that I can introduce you to is holy God with unholy mankind. He knows you. Do you know him? After Taylor, I transferred to what was at the time called Philadelphia Biblical University, now Karen University. And I had this uh, professor that he would give out a test. I tell you, would take classes on that. He was a New Testament professor. And so if you're going through the book of Philippians, if that's the section that you're in, he would, you would come to test day and he would give you this book. And the question would be, Tell me about God through the pages of Philippians. And then you would get this blank book, and you would have to say everything you know about the book of Philippians. He would read it, old man with plenty of time. He would read it and then give you a grade. There was not like, oh, I can fumble through, uh, I can fumble through uh, multiple choice. No, you got a blank book. Tell me everything you know. That was Dr. Master's exam in when God grades, when God finally comes and asks you that one question exam, what do you make of Jesus? What are you going to say? How are you going to demonstrate that you understand that God rose from the grave to save us from our sins through the person of Jesus Christ? If God handed you a book like Dr. Master and said, 
tell me what you make of Jesus. If, if, I, if that was to happen to me, if, if, if I was to have this slid, slid across the table and given to me, how I would answer it is I would, under, I would answer it with an understanding that I understand that Jesus Christ is the unique son of God. He died for me in my place. He's the only one that could do it. He was the perfect, holy son of God that died for Jason in all of his sin. And God took his wrath out on Jesus that was meant for me. I would say that. And that would take a paragraph of the first page. But then instinctively, I would try to fill up the book with evidence that I truly understood that. That it, that it hit me deep down inside. Faith with, with no works? We're saved by faith. But works become proof that, that faith really has penetrated deep down. So as you fill this book, is there evidence of life change? Do you understand Jesus? Do you understand his mission? Do you understand his life? Do you understand his worth? Do you understand his sacrifice? But if you answer this, you don't, want, you don't have any indication of faith. You don't say any of that. All you start doing is you list, I'm a good person. Here's all the works that make me a worthy candidate of heaven. I fight social injustice, but I never mention the name of Jesus. I'm nicer than the people I see on TV. I'm less racist than the people around me. I'm a good person by the world's standards. But what if it's not the world's standards that God grades us on, judges us on? What if he ultimately looks and says, do you understand that I have forgiven you in the person of Jesus Christ? You see Jesus. Are you ready to listen to Jesus? Our big uh, thought for this online experience is this. Deep understanding drives deep obedience. These men experience Jesus in a way that none of us can truly understand here on earth. They understand this and it drives into deep obedience where they will give their lives. You and I, is our understanding of Jesus growing that's driving deeper and deeper obedience. God is screaming down from heaven this is Jesus. He's my unique chosen son of God. What's your next move? Stop treating him like another religious leader. He's not some meek Galilean teacher with some, some nice teachings that can be ignored. God makes it clear with, his, with the wording here in this passage. This is my son. Listen to him. Pay attention to him. Have our lives been marked by listening to God? No more yeah buts. Yeah, I like God. Yeah, I'm good with God. I, I'm good, I'm good, but, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Because when our life is marked by a whole lot of yeah buts, you make a butt of yourself before God, and you're making a butt of God to the people around you. In a small way, we have been called not to treat God like whatever. We've been called to treat him like the God that he is. To love yourself like God loves you, to love others as Christ loves others. In such a small way, we are to go into the community and be the glory of God in our community. Does our community question God's glory because they don't see God's glory flowing out of us? That's why we pray for one, and that's why we demonstrate to others the glory of our God. Americans that are with a purely secular view of life have so much to live with, 
but so little to live for. To live is Christ. Are we growing in Christ? Are we bearing fruit? Are we, are we, are, are there, is there good coming from our lives? You would say, Jason, I've tried. Jason, I've tried to live the way, the way God asks me to live. I, I tried, I tried, but you know what? It wasn't effective for me. It didn't really change anything, so I stopped trying. That's the same type of person that's going to say, Jason, I went to the gym. I was there three times in a month, and guess what? I didn't lose a pound. It didn't make a difference in my life, so the gym sucks. I'm never going back. It must not be effective. This is the type of person that's not willing to go all in but expects a major change. Here's my challenge for us as we close this online experience. One month of the Gospel of John. We just did a five-day reading plan. And like Carly said at the beginning of this experience, it was awesome. It was incredible to see, to see men and women, uh, there, to see children and to see older adults and everybody in between chewing on, on the Word of God for five days, growing in Christ, talking about fruit, talking about trees, talking about things that, that have implications in God's words and, and implications in our lives. It was awesome. We gave it five days and there were some beautiful conversations that came out of that. But does it stop after five days? No, we grow deeper to obey deeper. And so here's my challenge, not to stop. We're gonna email this out. We'll drop links in the comments below with the online host. One month of the gospel of job. Can you, John, can you give it 30 days? And can you and I grow deeper in our understanding of Jesus Christ as we looked to be holy, as he is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. We get to be a part of that. Do that plan with me. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Toms River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you. And we hope you have a fantastic week.